0: Friends and family of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ who has defeated sin, death, and the devil. All for you. Amen. Well, today we officially bring close to this season of Lent and turn in earnest to Holy Week and to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Lent this year, we have focused on working our way through the Apostles' Creed. That is, what we confess our belief And in that, hopefully most of you have had an opportunity to work along with us and learn as well. Now, what you may believe is really informed by many things. For some of you, most of you probably, it was much of your family beliefs, or maybe where you were raised, or how, where you were raised, excuse me, how you were raised and the time frame in which you were raised. There is no denying that if you were born in the United States, there is probably a higher likelihood that you would have at least heard the name of Jesus Christ occasionally through your upbringing, maybe not specifically in your home, but certainly encountered or heard it in other ways. But if you were born in other parts of the world, say like the Middle East, Africa, Asia, South America... You may not have heard the name of Jesus Christ until you encountered it from outside of your family dynamic or in other ways of life. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John, Pastor Lars, and myself were invited to come to the high school youth group to field some questions from the group. They call this event Stump the Pastor. We actually look forward to this every year. What I continually hear in many of the questions and in the discussion we have is the vast ways that people form or are informed of their belief. You can hear it in the questions. Believe me, the questions are really good. Many of the questions trying to understand faith by reason. And we joke with them that the answer is always Jesus. And that's no joke, it's always Jesus. But ironically, the other common answer is food. But I guess you have to be there to understand that one. Throughout our conversation, you could often hear the anxiety behind the questions, because matters of faith are hard to accept when you don't have concrete answers. There are many ways that faith and life collide, and I heard it again and again, but what I'm always impressed with is that these young people do not accept easy, pat answers. No, they truly want to dig in and they want to understand, and because I said so is surely not an acceptable answer. But what I would also say for them is that when they actually hear the gospel, it can be offensive. Because in the end, faith cannot be reasoned. This is why it is called faith. Ultimately, you must trust in something. (laughs) And there are many ways that the matters of faith are both informed and challenged throughout our lives. And I was also thinking about when we come to the baptismal font and we watch and hear God proclaim and claim someone in his promises and in the many ways that we charge them with bringing up believers. Remember in our baptismal liturgy that we shackle the parents and the sponsors and yes, even you the congregation to all kinds of responsibilities, right? To bring the newly baptized to worship among God's faithful people. To teach them the Ten Commandments, the Creed and the Lord's Prayer to encourage them to read the Bible and to be taught in the basics of Lutheran confession. But in the end, while these things are important, they are not actually Christ himself. Because faith and understanding in this comes from what Christ does and says in this holy week. Today we celebrate Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding a donkey colt, This event fulfills the scriptures, most specifically Zechariah chapter 9 and Psalm 118. And this event begins the final, yet most important days of Jesus' ministry on earth. The crowds had gathered and spread their cloaks on the road as a sign of loyalty. Others cut palm branches and waved them as Christ rode into Jerusalem, the palm branches signifying goodness and victory. Valerie has already informed us of the meaning of the donkey as it was a sign of peace. If the king or military leader came riding in on a war horse, it meant something quite different. Now the crowds had followed Jesus throughout the last three years as he taught with authority, performed miracles, healed the sick, cast out demons, but he did and said so much more. The more that seemed to have fallen on deaf ears... Because on this day, as he rode into Jerusalem, Jesus had foretold of his impending death and what would happen to him when he went to Jerusalem, yet that was not remembered on this day. For the crowds, Jesus was the conquering hero. He had come to reestablish the glory days of Israel like those of King David some 1,000 years before him. He was believed to be the new great politician and military leader of the Jews. The leader that the Jews had anticipated in the Messiah and actually still wait for today. Now, this week in the Luther House of Study podcast series, Dr. Steve Paulson made a great commentary on this event. He said, Do not enjoy popularity because it will crucify you. And of course, we know this is what happens from the triumphal entry where the crowds yelled Hosanna to just a few short days later where they yell crucify. Now from the text that was read before our processional from Mark chapter 11 to the gospel text in Mark chapter 14, Jesus systematically addresses matters of the law. This is the great challenge to faith because the law is not faith. It is not what you do that gains favor. And throughout these three chapters and between the two narratives that we have heard today, Jesus addresses many of the matters of the law because people keep coming to him seeking their sense of righteousness in the law. And Jesus goes to the temple. He throws out the commercialism of religion. He speaks to proper relationships. He speaks to paying taxes and even matters of the resurrection. All ways that the religious elite try to gain some control over their own sense of salvation and righteousness. And then finally, the text brings us to the home of Simon the leper. And we're introduced to the plan to betray Jesus. This event takes place just two days before Jesus meets with his disciples and institutes the Lord's Supper and before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Gospel of Mark, as usual, is a little short on details in this text. But if we let the other Gospels, especially the Gospel of John, inform us a little bit, we know that Jesus and the disciples have come to the home of Simon the leper, a man that Jesus has previously healed. And with him are Mary and Lazarus. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, whether out of gratitude or some divine understanding, Mary brings a jar of perfume, breaks it open, pours it on Jesus' head, and anoints him. And Judas gets upset. Now, we don't know a lot about Judas in his upbringing, but we know these details. We know that he was the one who gets upset with this perfume incident, and we know why he gets upset, because John chapter 12 tells us that Judas was a thief and stole from the common purse. Kind of a two-for-me, one-for-you kind of thing. And Judas recognizes the value of what has just happened, and he speaks up, saying, why was this perfume wasted? It could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. And in that time, 300 denarii would have been a year's salary for a common worker. So in today's terms, it was likened to being valued to $30,000. $30,000. But Judas is lying. He sees the missed opportunity for making the money purse heavier for his own use. And for Judas, a switch has flipped and he meets with the temple priests to form a plan to betray Jesus. So, Jesus, so Judas goes and he hammers out a contract. He is contracted out to hand Jesus over to his enemies. They finally settle on the biblical price he would have paid for a Hebrew slave, 30 silver coins. So the question of the day is, why does he do it? Certainly Judas had hoped that by following Jesus there would have been political victory for his people and financial benefit to Judas himself, but it doesn't play out like that. And when Judas's plan gets dashed, he flips on Jesus and sells him for a slave. Now that's the short story of Judas. But isn't it nice that today we can come and look down our nose at him and wag our finger and say, not in a million years would I do that. But can you really do that? Is that being honest with yourself? Can you say, like, unlike Judas, that money or status has never had power in your life? Can you say that when it comes to Jesus, you're ready to pour $30,000 out on his head just because he's here? Or if you were in that room, would you have had the same feeling as Judas? Can we say that we've never been disappointed? When we find out that Jesus isn't in the business of giving us all we want the way we want it? Come on, Jesus, get on board with my agenda for life. But here's the deal, and we need to be honest. It's too easy to make Judas the scapegoat. It's too easy to pin it on him. I mean, isn't he the greatest sinner? He betrayed Jesus Christ. But the uncomfortable truth is that we, you, are just as responsible for Jesus' death as Judas. Judas eventually did come around to see his sin. It gripped him. And do you remember what he did with it? He ran back to the temple, he threw the coins back at the religious elite, and he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. We hear this from Matthew chapter 27. And do you know what the religious elite said to him? What is that to us? That's your responsibility. I think this event is one of the greatest missed opportunities in the biblical record. Here's a guy who confessed his sin and wanted a clean conscience. He wanted to know his sins were forgiven. He went to the people that should have told him that, but nobody told him. Judas did not receive forgiveness for his sin. And by the way, Judas was not the greatest sinner. The greatest sinner went to the cross. Friends, as I stated earlier, there are many things that inform your sense of belief, but only one thing that provides faith, and that is the promise of God found only in His Son, Jesus Christ. You too have come here today confessing your sins, but you heard Christ's words for you. You are forgiven. This week as we hear again the narrative of the Passion, I want you to know that while you may be hearing this as a historical event, Christ Jesus is actually speaking it to you as newly as if it happened today because this is what Christ means in remembrance of him. It is how the gospel functions. Salvation and faith are created in the present moment and faith is made and clings to it when this is heard and trusted. Because faith is created whenever and wherever Christ is preached, crucified, and risen. Faith is created whenever and wherever God's promises are spoken, whether here in this place or as you go back out into the world. Faith is made when you pray thanksgiving for a meal, when you lie down and when you rise and you give thanks and praise for a new day, and faith is made wherever and whenever you pray in moments of pain or loss. And the true function of God's justice is not wrath, it's mercy. God's promise for you. And He sends His Son into the world to live under the world's burden, to live under the effects of sin. And over the course of Holy Week, Jesus would carry out His true and greatest ministry. And that is, his, that He takes your actual sin and dies for it on the cross, putting that part of you to death. But he does not leave you in death. He gives you new life in him. Folks, God is a God of love and mercy. And his, his son came to show this. And God speaks his promise into your life again this day and every day that you hear it. So that as we approach the cross of Christ, you may hear this, it is finished. I have done this for you. I have done this so that you would know life and know life abundantly, that the ways of this world had been conquered for you and I give you myself so that you would know with certainty God's love and his mercy. The events of Holy Week are spoken and heard so that you would know what Christ came to do and what he did, so that when you hear it, faith would find home in your heart and in your mind so that in these days of uncertainty and struggle you would cling to the only certainty in life and that is Christ Jesus and God's love for you. Christ has come to be the king of your life. Christ has come and his war horse is the cross. Thanks be to God. Amen.